in simplistic terms, some executive has said, we want to be the Amazon in our industry, right? That's what people say. And then that's, we're like, yeah, okay, I agree with you. So let's go do something with services then. That's, that's <laughs> what that means. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that means is, is look at how can you attack your market or enter new markets with a different pattern that's inherently service-based. That's, that's what we think you, you mean when you say, I want to be the Amazon of my industry. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 47. Our special guest is Patrick McGowan. The title today is Building Your Business Through Service Innovation, Strategies for Service Design to Enhance Business Value. Patrick has a fascinating background. He's an entrepreneur and he's the managing principal and a founder of Service Design Group. It's an organization that helps other organizations and leaders innovate, design, and manage service offerings. The Service Design Group are experts. They create revenue-generating service opportunities for B2B enterprises, and they've created something called the Service Path, which is the world's only business-to-business platform for service innovation and portfolio management. I came into this not knowing much at all about service design innovation, and it's fascinating, and it's really about looking for ways to differentiate your business through services. It also involves looking at strategies to monetize services that you're already delivering to some or all of your customers. This is going to turn innovation on its head in your business. So listen in and get ready as Patrick shares all of his wisdom about what it means to really tap into service innovation and design to make a difference in your business. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life we're excited to have Patrick McGowan with us today. Patrick is a longtime friend of mine from business school. Uh, we happened to meet in a, in a very interesting way, but Patrick is the CEO founder of Service Design Group. And one of the things we're going to be talking about today is how do we design services within our companies? Now, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, we just deliver them. Well, Patrick has more of a, he's more of the scientist behind the service design side of things. And so welcome today, Patrick. Great. Thank you. Some might say mad scientist. Mad scientist. There you go. Oh, good. I like mad scientists. Yeah. They do crazy stuff and change the world. That's right. So Patrick, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to this point and, and where, where was your journey? Great, great. And then thanks for having me, Craig and Jeff. So quick, quick, quick-ish version of the journey. I'd say it's a one part chance, one part skill. So uh, <laughs> let, let's let it roll. Uh, my traditional background, I think it applies here because it's service design group is a traditional design degree. So 
you know, I went to school and it was all about iteration, ideation, prototyping, you know, the experience of here's a piece of broccoli, draw it a hundred different ways is my first college class. And then, wow. okay, now 300 different ways, now 500 different ways by tomorrow. That, wow. that's, that was the, the formal training of, of design. Huh. And, and then I would say that the luck part was stumbled out of that into the enterprise software market mm. before user interface and user experience was a well understood thing. Right. And happened to get assigned to this, these wacky projects of maybe we can do software on the web. Who? Ooh. 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 Oh. So, wow. How old are you? <laughs> so, so how fortunate is that though? Because we've yeah. all seen how that played out. So cut my teeth doing UI UX in that context, early days where we were all trying to figure out how to do this was fairly good at it. I'd say for what it's worth, I always took a more of a systems design approach there. Well, we, of course we can make what's on the screen look better, but why are we doing this? Shouldn't we do more? Uh, that grew into an art director role for this large global multidisciplinary team and found myself wanting more, mainly along the lines of, okay, we're designing these products and making them better, but that pricing model seems a little off to me. <laughs> I got tired of the, just go do your design team thing, design guy, answer. Oh. So that put me on the uh, MBA path switched into <laughs> product and portfolio management and that was the other stroke of luck it just happened to be in the early days of let's do software as a service wow so it sounded more like a war path than the mba path <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and just for clarity uh, for those of you do, who don't know what ui and ux means it's user interface and user experience design so prim primarily for software for software but it can also be used in other areas as well. Uh, Patrick, I have, to, I have to ask this question. <laughs> I, I can't resist. I'm curious, how did it go at home when I, parents were, were alive? Your parents, when you went yeah. to college? Yeah. So you went home and told them about the, the assignment to dry broccoli, draw broccoli 500 different ways. Did they ask questions about correlation of checks to the university and drawing broccoli? I gotta know. You know, that, that's a good question. Uh, I, I always say it was uh, fortunate that I did have parents that were supportive of, of taking an educational path in design. Uh, for a number of years, I'm probably uh, not uh, new and fresh and shiny enough, but for a number of years, my, uh, so this was at NC State School of Design, they would bring me back specifically to talk to, you know, your uh, college tour folks. The, uh, the juniors in high school with their parents to say, you can get a job after this. <laughs> so I'd say in my case, uh, there, was, there was never kind of doubt or questions there, but, but even many years later, we're over 20 years later, this is a hard path for people to go down. Even mm. though we've seen uh, the power of design and human-centered design, it's still a non-traditional educational path. So... And yeah, I've heard that. Right. I've heard that because I have um, one of my dearest friends is that's what she, she's all about um, user experience. Yeah. And what he shared with me is they are those people are rare. They're not like like when you need that next person. It's not like you go and you're going to get 100 resumes. <laughs> you are not. 
right. still a very narrow piece of expertise, even today, you know, in 2020. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is fascinating. So it's a good, good question. I'll have to, maybe I'll have to send, uh, send my parents a note and say, well, so what did you really think? I'm, yeah. I, I, I need a better answer here. They, might, they well, might give you the white knuckle answer that said we were just going, oh. Yeah. oh. Well, the other thing is you, you were at NC State undergrad, then you went to UNC Business School. So we, we had very similar paths. In fact, I, I lived in Sign Dorm right next to the design school. And my first roommate was a uh, was landscape architect. So anyway, we, we did that and then you come back to this point where now you're going to have this other conversation with your parents. Hey, mom and dad, you know, I'm, I have this great job with IBM. I just finished my MBA and now I'm going to go start a company. Yeah, yeah exactly. And let's, uh, I'll, I'll add the final part there. Doing that portfolio management job, right? And getting out of the design shoes was awesome because all of a sudden, and again, early days of software as a service, my day-to-day -day problems became things like, can we sell in Germany? <laughs> a data center in Germany, okay? And then I had the design team, which used to be me, saying, we really need to change all the colors of the user interface. And that's, that's trivializing. It was much more sophisticated discussions, but let's put those two things next to each other. Hmm. As, as the portfolio managers, like, We'll talk about that another day. Who can help me uh, figure out what our data center design should be? Who can help me with the fact that there's no incentive plan in place for the sellers to sell this new as a service offering? They're compensated and incented to sell the product. So, of course, they're not selling my product or my service. Right. Um, we don't have an onboarding team or a customer success team like all the born on the cloud companies do. How do I get one of those? And really there was no one that could help me as the business owner, right? The PL owner, help me design, design this stuff, make it better. There was this gap. And I, but I love this space of let's go do something as a service. And that was where service design group was born is what well, we have to be able to design these things. It, why not? Anything can be designed, <laughs> but, but it's just a bigger problem. There's a lot more moving pieces. That doesn't mean we can't get really good at this. So got, got good at it kind of by doing it and then thought, ah, there, there's a market opportunity here. We can go and help other companies actively yeah. design, build, and manage services. And yeah, so that brings us back to your question, Craig. But then that's, that is a leap, as, I'm, as you both know, to say, well, I'm going to go do that now. Yep. I'm curious, Patrick, with the customer or the clients you work with, do they typically know what you do and they come looking for that? Or are they usually having a problem and somehow they get to you and you're the solution? In other words, do they understand what you do typically or are you educating? before you sell? I wish I could say yes to that. Do they understand, <laughs> Jeff? <laughs> so uh, the, the answer is no, they don't. We, we tend to see things like we need to create a connected customer experience or we need to do more with digitalization. At least people are saying digitalization now and not digitization. We're not adding, <laughs> we're not adding digits to things. <laughs> so, so progress there, but usually it's something like that, or there's a pain point 
such as we used to have 60 to 80% market share and premium pricing with our product. And now there's cheaper substitutes entering, mm. but we have the best technical service people. Now we just, we're losing market share. We're losing competitiveness. What do we do? It, it's usually something like that. Nobody's Googling uh, service innovation and portfolio management as a service, mm. which is what we offer. And, and then, oh, I want you guys. It's more, well, we need to do, we need to do something here. And then we're helping them understand, well, what you probably need to do is explore service innovation as a potential to helping with your problem. Because I want to be clear, it's not like it's the thing that solves everything, but it's, it's a thing that most firms should be doing. But we do spend a lot of time, Jeff, getting them to a point where they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we do need services. Or maybe they call them. Uh, lately, we've seen more people calling this type of work solution development or platform development. You know, Craig will probably laugh about this. The solution development thing, I think, started 20 years ago. But pe people have been dabbling in this for a long time, and there's still no clear understanding of that's what I need. Gotcha. And so one of the things that you look at is how, how somebody can take services and turn that into something that really differentiates a company rather than saying, okay, my products are the things that stand out. And yes, very well, that could still be. But in addition to that, we're going to wow somebody and create an experience for them that they were not expecting. Yeah, I'd say that the main patterns are look at the, let's say, services you do today that you mm -hmm. are not directly monetized. So really awesome people yeah. out in the field doing awesome product optimization or customization tasks for your customers. Mm -hmm. But the only way you monetize that was the product contract. Mm -hmm. And then you're back in the room with your customer for annual contract negotiation. And they say, I don't remember any of that. Give me a level <laughs> price. But let's fix that. Let's right. look at those activities. You're already doing them. Good news. You have those capabilities and skills in-house, but let's make them a real service. Let's mm -hmm. give them a customer journey. Let's give them clear starts and stops. And let's, let's put a tangible value on them that, that your customers will recognize. So that's kind of one yeah. pattern is maybe hardening, hardening your existing ad hoc services. Mm. The, the, and I'd say that's kind of base level. Let's no. add a bit. Yeah, when you say hardening, are you talking about really more productizing or making sure that they're, they're consistent in what you're doing? I'd say consistency and scale. So okay. a lot of times when we dig into this scenario we're describing, it may be, the, let's say, Craig, you're the person that goes and makes this magic happen in the field, right? Mm -hmm. and, and everyone's like, we've got this awesome service we go do. You dive into it and you really learn what's well, it's Craig, the employee, mm. delivering Craig's awesomeness. That that's <laughs> not service. Right. So I'd say we're not productizing Craig in this right. case. We're saying, how can we scale that thing? How okay. can we scale it and get it to the point? And maybe this is kind of like productization, getting it to a point where it has the moral equivalent of a SKU or an invoice or a value exchange or a price next to it. Yeah. And we could say, 
we can do this for more than just a small subset of customers. And we can tell you exactly what it's going to look like, how it's going to show up, and the outcome you're going to get. And we know as a business, we can stand behind that and not be so dependent on this one employee who does this for us today. That's it's a very different thing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. When I was back as chief technology officer of an engineering company, so a consulting engineering firm, um, one of the things that we did was we realized that our IT team that we had was doing things that our clients weren't able to do, that frankly, a lot of the other companies like us were not doing. We started seeing what other people were doing. Like for example, when we did automatic installs and other people were still using CDs to install software, you know, and, and just little things like that. And then designing that flow so that internally we were doing things differently. Well, we decided, hey, why don't we try actually selling these services to our clients? And that was, that was kind of a foray into, oh, wow, you know, we have other things that we could do. We could have turned our accounting practice into something that we sold because what we were doing specifically for engineering companies, for this engineering company, we could do for other engineering companies as well, which seems a little counterintuitive, but, um, you know, there are different ways to make money that a lot of times we don't explore. Exactly. So, so you nailed it. So that I would put in this, you have those capabilities on the table, so to speak. Let's go make money with them. Mm -hmm. The other patterns that we play with are, okay, you have this product, it's in market, but you're just selling it as a contract negotiation. It's a transactional thing. Mm -hmm. Could we take that product, combine it with some people services <laughs> and maybe introduce some new tech to it. Yeah. So some internet of things, sensors, maybe let's sprinkle some artificial intelligence or machine learning, whatever the technology of the day is. Some I, chat I, bots. I say that jokingly, but, but, but I'm, it, it is serious. Let's, let's take today's useful on the shelf technology that can do interesting things. And let's look at your product differently and say, should you sell that as a transactional model mm. or should you guarantee an outcome? And wrapper. Oh, so good. Yeah, wrapper the product with the people services and this tech package, right? Because that's a lot harder for your competitors to replicate. So we're talking better barriers to entry yeah. and go to market in a different way, a different business <laughs> model. Look at a subscription model. Look at an outcome guarantee. Yeah. Do something different. Stop just saying we have the best solution. And what you really mean is we have the highest price product. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that you talk about that because oftentimes when we look at, hey, I'm going to buy this thing, people say, okay, this is what you're going to get. These are, your, these are your features and benefits. And what we really want is the outcome. And you spoke to that. And I think it's really important. If we, can, if we can really define our services well enough that we can guarantee an outcome, that is so, so much worth more than somebody just saying, hey, I can do this service for you. I don't know what it's going to look like at the end. Exactly. And we actually say, Craig, that it's not a service unless it's delivering an outcome, mm. a specified outcome to your customer at a level of value, expertise, and or efficiency hmm. that the customer cannot create on their own. Wow. And it has to have a price or a skew 
or the equivalent of that next to it, or else we don't recognize it as a service. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Well, I think, you know, I'm glad you clarified that right there, Patrick, because as you were talking, and it's really fascinating to me, the complexity, the, the apparent complexity of your sale, hmm. because some of the things in your conversation was about the service that a customer or client gets versus the services that you're offering. And they're different. They're very different things. You're, uh, the part about the SKU is you're saying this is something that we're offering to our clients that they, and there's a value assigned to it based upon an outcome. It's not, a, we're not providing better service. That's a different conversation. What you're talking about is monetizing services and maybe even creating them, but they're going to be monetized. Yeah, you nailed it, Jeff. Yeah, and we're not, we, we are not going to create a non-monetized service in the work that we do. And, and yeah, you touched upon, Jeff, there is this gray area that we see, especially in the early days working with our clients of, but yes, yeah, service versus a service. It's funny. It's like we don't have a good vocabulary set, but often we see the service you provide. Those are really like brand promises. And usually they're awesome but they've gotten confused over time that we do that. We do that for our customer. It's like, yeah, it's a little, little murky. So if we called all your customers and said, tell us what you think about that service, would they have a response or would they say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And often that would be the response. So if it can't pass that simple test of, are you a customer of service X? Hmm. They can't say yes and let me tell you what I think about. Chances are it's not a service the way Service Design Group talks about it. So we want to build, you nailed it, Jeff. We want to help you come up with new, and new could be like Craig and I were discussing, repackaging what you already do or truly new to world. Uh, we want new things that are a service, as in I can reach out and as much as you could ever grab a service, reach out and grab it and directly monetize it. So let me try something out. So as simple as I can get it with my business. So my business, I do speaking, training, facilitation, and coaching. I've never done group coaching. So in this, this is a, I think this is pretty simplistic, but if I decide to start offering group coaching, that would be an example of adding a service that's monetized that I have the capability to deliver more efficient delivery for me. I mean, to me, it's not very complex in terms of designing, but that would be what you're talking about. I'm adding a new service that I offer. And now someone who signs up says, I am part of that service. I am doing group coaching with Jeff. So that would be an example. It's got a skew with it. They would certainly say, yep, that's what I'm getting from them. Is that, a, I mean, that's a pretty simple example, but is that what we're talking about? Literally adding a service? Yeah, yeah, that, work, that works for me, you know, because sim simplicity is good here. We see these, these simpler versions, I think, in more, and Jeff, I don't fully uh, know, know your business, but it sounds, you know, it's more, I would assume in this case, it's an individual purchase, right? And I think in, in the realm I play in, it's one enterprise to another, so it sounds more complicated, but it's not really. Uh, so yeah, it's adding services to what you do. 
that, that someone can procure, let's say, <laughs> is the name of the game. Or else why, why bother? It's a lot of work to go do these, do these things and promise an outcome and, and differentiate yourself. So if you're not going to package it up and monetize it, maybe just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, uh, interesting. So I guess as we look at Cartabera and what we're doing, so we we were very intentional when we came together and created Cartabera that we wanted to have this membership component be a core part of what we're doing so that we have both consistency of training and development for our clients, our members, and also an ongoing revenue stream and recurring revenue for us. So it's a it's a win-win. It's a great model because then they also get the community aspects. And so there's a, a much richer sense of what they can get going through the path of a membership versus going to a class and then expecting to be awesome at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. And I think you, you touched on something that's near and dear to me, which is, so I would say in that context, a class is a product mm-hmm. or it's close. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets confusing and yeah. interesting, right guys is, mm-hmm. is there are things out there that historically have been a service or maybe the economists would count as service in a GDP count or an mm-hmm. accountant would say, as far as gap goes, generally accepted accounting principles, that services revenue. And we may look at it and say, yeah, okay, but it's sure behaving like a product and it's getting commoditized. <laughs> Classes might be a good example versus another way to approach this like you've described. And what's fascinating to us is to then really pass this test of is it really an interesting service is you, you have to continually deliver value. Mm. And to me, that, that's like a, it's a great litmus test. For, for what are you doing? So in your example that you just shared, Craig, if you don't keep adding value and continuously improving this membership mm-hmm. component, you will lose customers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that simple. And you guys know that. So you're, you're doing it, the, the membership component, you have to think about it differently, manage it differently, design it differently. And that's what it's all about. That's, yeah, that, well, that, that's the fun stuff. Just, just don't tell the tax man because, you know, if we're, if we're now calling services products, now we're going to be taxed on it. <laughs> Who knows? It's, it's, we always have a, an interesting discussion on how, how should some of this stuff be counted, right? For right. Like, uh, hey, we got to keep the accountants employed too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Patrick, could you give some, I mean, I know you've told some stories in here. I think it would be helpful if you gave an example or two of actual work you've done and yeah. with the with the goal of the listeners here saying oh i see because to me it's when them they don't know what they don't know right i don't know what i don't know some examples will help it make it more visual for them to say that's the kind of situation where i need the help of patrick or someone like him yeah great great question i think this is always the the interesting part for me to come up with examples where i don't breach some some non-disclosure agreement, but, but let's see what we can do. So uh, to me, the, if someone was saying, where, where might I need some help or something like this Patrick guy's talking about, I'd say two, two big buckets. One is we have a technical service or technical sales group today. They exist. 
but they do not directly produce any revenue. It's all, if we're really honest about it, it's all product support, right? Mm -hmm. Or troubleshooting, product startups, whatever you want to call those things, listeners, you got a whole department doing that. We'd say, give us a call. Let's spend 10 hours together and we will assess, is there an opportunity for you to relook at those things, repackage them and create new to world services for your company where you can create new revenue streams. Okay. The second thing that we'd look for, and then I'll, I'll share two examples, is we have a product in market. All of our marketing is about how it's the best solution out there. It's the preferred innovation, but inside the four walls, you and I both know it's sold as a product and it's recognized on your <laughs> profit and loss statement as product revenue. Let's get together, let's look at that thing and say, how might we create a different business model around that? Hmm. And either do an outcome-based pricing play with the service and experience around it, or do a subscription model and the service and experience around it. Those are the two things we will help you do and assess. Uh, quick examples. We had a client that is an integrated manufacturer and distributor okay of of ingredients let's say ingredients is a good word for it okay and to your point earlier jeff they a brand promise of theirs was their service their awesome service and one of those things was around delivery that well we have you know they had all the reasons why their truck drivers were better than others you name it say great well, all those things are true then why don't, why don't we at least explore having a thing called premium delivery mm. that you can charge your customers for? But doesn't that sound simple? <laughs> simple when you've been operating for maybe a hundred years yeah. and, and that one passed the tests of not all customers were getting this differentiated delivery mm. experience, but that differentiated experience was creating immense value for the customers. So let's, let's redesign mm. it and relaunch it and let's have layers of delivery service. Why not? That's a concrete example. The that almost other, sounds like Amazon. Yeah, I mean, Amazon did it. There's a reason. And yeah. uh, uh, so that would be the take a service and let, let's, let's find a way to monetize an example. On the product side, you know, this is, this is true for a lot of our clients. Let's say you have a product that goes into some other business's manufacturing process. Okay, so this could be an equipment product or an ingredient product. And, and your storyline is, we, we offer the best of the best there. It, it, it gets you the best performance, okay? Best performance in unit operation X. We'd say, that's great. Why wouldn't you have an offering that says guaranteed performance mm. of unit operation X? And we're going to go to market with a service that says, we'll give you the product, the people, and the connected hardware and software. And you'll pay us when we hit that guaranteed performance level. Wait, who, who do you give your business to five years from now? The, the other people selling product or the person that's selling that thing? And that's yes. that thing we call a service. So th those are the two big patterns, I'd say, for listeners. And I, I don't think there's a company out there that doesn't have these two things going on. Mm -hmm. they, they have people doing troubleshooting and delivering awesomeness to customers but they're not monetizing it 
and they've got a marketing machine that's pushing out promises about all the outcomes they deliver, but they don't actually guarantee an outcome. They sell product. Let's actually do those two things. Hmm. Let's, let's monetize the services you already deliver and let's re-envision what you take to market with a true services model. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. So basically what you're telling us, Patrick, is if Blockbuster had called you <laughs> a couple decades ago, they, they, they would still be around and there would be no Netflix. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, we, we use that example, Jeff. It's the consumer space is ripe with these examples. Yeah. I think that's what's interesting. Our focus is business to business, but it's happening. It's happening in business to business. So no one's immune to this, let's call it the as a service upheaval. Hmm. I think people say disruption too much. Everyone thinks they're a disruptor. And do, do you want to disrupt or be disrupted? I don't know. But, <laughs> but this is going to happen. Industry after industry, someone's going to find a way to flip the go-to-market. I like to think of it as go-to-market over business model because – and business model confusing a lot of people. I agree with everything in business model thinking uh, and innovation, but I've seen too many people just glaze over. <laughs> That's why I created the game for it. I know, Craig. I know. <laughs> you know, but is let's go to market differently and let's really, your, your blockbuster example, what does someone really want? Do, do they want to go rent a movie or do they want to watch a movie? Mm, oh, right. Good so do, do, do you want... Do you want to buy a product and, you, and add it to your manufacturing process to attempt to optimize a unit operation? Or do you want to procure an optimized unit operation? And we all That's know it. the answer. We all yeah. know the answer to that question. But, it's, the, but it's, it's hard to do the, the outcome play. And <laughs> really? Yeah, because then you're on the hook, right? Because oh. you, you then have to be in integrity and deliver what you say you're going to do. And you have to be able to measure the performance. Mm -hmm. You need transparency with your customer. You know, big data might actually need to do something for both parties <laughs> other than just right. pile up. Uh, yeah, the, the integrity is there, Craig. You, it's, it's a lot of kind of deep probing in the organization at some point to say, yeah. well, can, can you do this? Or, are, do you have a risk appetite that would let you go do this? Right. Now, when you look at that, though, you're, you're saying basically, okay, I am now going to be accountable. And Jeff and I talk about self-accountability and how, how people really don't want to be accountable. And yet what you're saying is, okay, I'm going to put it out there that I'm going to be accountable for delivering this particular outcome for you. And for that, you're going to pay me more. How much does that work out? Are they able to see the value coming back from a higher profit margin when they do that? 
compared to I'm just going to let it go and I'm just going to deliver services and hope that, you know, they, they don't call me out on it. That's, that's an interesting thing because especially when we look at this from a profit margin lens, Craig, you're probably well aware that services may not be as friendly particularly in the early days, it, mm. you, you may need to stop looking at margin. As <laughs> until you get scale? <laughs> until you get scale. But yeah. that's back to that risk appetite and that risk posture. Who, who do you want to be and where do you want to be in your market five years from now? And maybe you do need to give some now because your margins, think of it this way, from a pure mathematic point of view, if we took a product and just kind of, feebly switched it to a service by changing it to a subscription model. Subscription pricing, your margins in that first year just got tanked. Yep. Because you didn't change your cost structure, but the accountants aren't going to let you recognize revenue all up front. So that big, juicy revenue line item you used to enjoy, it just got chopped into 12 little pieces. And now you're going to get called in next quarter and ask why your margins are so bad. It's the same business. Right. But nobody, nobody can look at it. So, you know, I do think that's uh, one of the challenges with going after some of this stuff is there's a longer tail to pay off and there is a commitment. And I think there's much more ambiguity of can we, can we deliver that outcome? And yeah. if you, wait to the point where you can say a hundred percent yes we can you someone else has probably already figured out and yeah. done it. so so you have to dive in i mean think about this from a management leadership trade-off because that's where you guys specialize basically saying increase your risk appetite increase your level of of ambiguity your tolerance for ambiguity and embark on something that in the short term we'll have less good looking numbers. <laughs> but, <laughs> that is not for the quarterly, quarterly focused person, yeah, right? But the trade-off is there. We, we've seen it. The, if you can turn that corner and get yeah. the outcome and the recurring revenue, your enterprise value is going to go through the roof. We're seeing yeah. it. that the street will value you more if you have that compelling story to tell you will, but you, you will be rewarded. It will work out, but shall we say it's not for the faint of heart. So Patrick, right. you mentioned, um, you mentioned Amazon or Craig did. And let me ask you a question about that. So what popped in my head was, I don't know when Amazon made this change. Obviously Amazon to me continues to evolve, but one of the changes they made 10, 20 years ago was they used to charge for shipping. Then they said, we're going to create something called Amazon Prime. And it's going to be a subscription. And now it's free shipping. And my guess is someone sat in a room and said, are you nuts? People are happily paying us for shipping, which has a profit margin in it, I'm sure. Well, oh my God, what about the people who buy 10 things a week? We're, not, we're going to lose money on them. Yep, I'm sure you do in that just relative to that piece. But so is that an example of saying this is a, is that a service per se? Or is just, I mean, because they, I don't know, I'm just asking that question. That's what popped in my mind is Amazon with their prime versus charging for shipping. Yeah, I, so I actually love Amazon. They, they probably come up every time we are doing early workshops and everyone gets super confused because it's like, <laughs> what are they? Well, 
they're a business that plays in multiple, multiple, multiple spaces. And that's part of the lesson here too, is let's get more specific. Where where are we talking? So I would say Amazon prime, I would recognize as a, as a membership service model, pretty straightforward. And yes, they, how they achieve arrived at that decision, Jeff, only they know, but uh, it was a trade-off to then say, that that would be, I would assume that's how we'll get early adopters, that the value exchange is there. Why wouldn't someone say yes? But to my point earlier, what have they had to do because it's prime and it's a membership service? They've had to continually improve it. Mm-hmm. So they, they added content in the form of movies and now they're producing their own shows. They had to add music and now they've added layers of music and layers of subscription, mm. but they couldn't have done all of that if they didn't go down this path to begin with, right? Yeah. But I, my belief is at its core, whether Amazon would say this or not, is they are a service-minded company, a mm. service-oriented company that is viewed as a tech company because they are that too. But everything they've done fundamentally, I believe follows as a service thinking. So Prime is the consumer-facing version for all the sellers out there. They're basically providing, you know, e-commerce and logistics and supply chain management as a service. And and, access to customers. And access to customers as a service. And then look what they've done with uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, right? It's it's infrastructure as a service, or I'm not an infrastructure platform, but it's brilliant. But it all follows the same pattern of, they're not selling a product, right? The, maybe you could argue the Amazon of 30 years ago, let's say, would have been one of the big enterprise software guys that would have said, we've got this market research and there's going to be this opportunity for virtual hosts, cloud computing. Let's build a tech stack and we'll go sell software licenses to all the other big companies. <laughs> that would have been the product company. Right. But no, we're not going to do that. We're, we're going to build the infrastructure and sell it as a service. Well, what they, what they did is they, they eventually essentially because they were building it for themselves, they realized, Hey, this is an asset. And if we can look inside of our companies and say, okay, where do we have these assets? Where do we have these things that we're, we are creating value, differentiated value. And now we can package that and sell it. That's exactly what they did with Amazon web services. And now, it powers so much of the, of the online world. Yeah. Google now also has their cloud. So you have the Amazon cloud, you have the Google cloud. And when you run your stuff on those, you know that you're getting some of the highest speed because those, those companies do an amazing job of the tech. Yeah, and, and another example is what they've built. I think this is much earlier stage for them, but your, you know, checkout lists, mm shopping experience. Yep. Uh, the research I've done there is that they developed, they, they had a need to develop monitoring, monitoring capabilities in their warehouses. Yeah. Okay. And there's a whole ethical discussion around that. Should people be constantly monitored? Whatever. They had a need for it. Um, they built capability and then, ah, this could be a service that we could then go offer to, to others. So yeah. they I love how they approach this. And, and some of the, that's what we say is like, look, uh, so in simplistic terms, 
some executive has said, we want to be the Amazon in our industry, right? That's what people say. And then that's, we're like, yeah, okay, I agree with you. So let's go do something with services then. That's, that's <laughs> what that means. Yeah. That's what that means is, is look at how can you attack your market or enter new markets with a different pattern that's inherently service-based. That's, that's what we think you, you mean when you say, I want to be the Amazon of my I look at the, the prime example, and really to me, that's one of these things that there's so many different benefits for Amazon, but there's so many benefits for the customer. It's a really good win-win. And when you look at it from the pure monetary standpoint, yes, of course, Amazon's gonna charge a little bit more for every product that comes in to ship it out. And so really some of the sellers are paying some of that cost. So they're carrying some of that cost. The other side is they're getting their revenue for that shipping upfront for a year. And when you're thinking about buying something, are you gonna go to where you have free shipping or are you gonna go get in the car, go down the road, go grab something? And I think we've seen a major shift, especially now with COVID, but you've seen a major shift of how people consume things. And because I'm a member, you know, it's, it's like the, the Sam's Club or Costco or something like that. Because I'm a member, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to buy all my stuff there. And it changes the equation because now people don't even think about going to these other retailers. Yeah, you nailed it. And I want to highlight something you touched on, Craig, which is a, a, another kind of tenant, let's say, of real service design for us is at the end of the day, you're talking about aligned incentives models. Mm, this yeah. isn't just pillaging and plundering your customers <laughs> right. and getting them to give you recurring revenue. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the naive view. The reason you can collect recurring revenue is only if you can align incentives. Yeah. And the incentive alignment requires you to do something more than sell a product, right? Because products, what products are bought, they're used, they're repaired, replenished and replaced. There, there is no recurring relationship or, or aligned incentives model. So, I think that's the key word is the relationship. Are we transactional or rela relational? And when you look at Amazon, you know that you don't know anybody that's actually on the other side of the fence, right? In Amazon, unless you happen to know somebody who, who's working there, but you don't have a relationship with people at Amazon. You have a relationship with Amazon. Yes. Yeah, it's not a, pers a personal human-to-human -human relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's, I'm mean, so, you know, if we kind of put a bow around this part, it's, the, the belief we have is any firm can and should excel at this type of work, right? But there's firms out there like, like let's give Amazon their due credit. They're really good at this. Great, right? Let's, let's look at them, but it's not like it's luck and they stumble into this, right? So let's find a way to be as programmatic and systematic about developing services let's do that anywhere Let, let's find a way to do that and you know the the other part we could touch upon here is look at the things they've started and stopped 
and dabbled with and removed. That, that's back to that risk appetite. It's not like they're just constantly shooting at 100%, no, no misses. Things come and go. Yeah. Um, they, you, you also see their pipeline model in play. Right? They're, they're doing something in healthcare. Uh, as I understand it, they partnered with someone with more healthcare expertise, and they started off by only making it available to their employees only in the Seattle area. Hmm. We love that. And so yeah. with our clients, we're like, look at that example. So this is back to kind of some of the, what's the, what's the trade-off? I think that's another important thing to touch on with, with services and service innovation is time and time again, we see this model of like a living lab and starting somewhere that's focused. And this is very different than product thinking. Because product thinking, we, at some point you're, at, you're, you're manufacturing and you're distributing. Right? But with services, we can just start somewhere small. Let's go see if it's working. Yes, then, so good. And then let's look to scale it. So, yeah. it, but, but again, we're dealing with risk. Are, are you willing to go to a customer and say, look, we want to do this brand new service offering thing. We think it's a good fit. Here's why the incentives are aligned. Here's, here's what we're, we are going to do this for you. Will you do that knowing that you might yank that from market? Or it might be a big old success and you could scale it. Or you yeah. might learn that it was awesome, but yeah, it's just not tenable for your business at this time. So you're still going to exit that position. That's, that's what's cool about services is they, while they sound and feel more complex, you, in some ways they might be more flexible and rapid in, yeah. in the ideation phase if you're willing to embrace that type of thinking. Yes, absolutely. And this, this is where I would say some of what you're doing is really service innovation. And you're thinking about how do we redesign? How do we rethink how we're, how we're doing these things? And with innovation comes aptitude for failure. I mean, you're going to have failures as you go through that. And I think it's really important that you talk about that because Jeff and I are big proponents of if, some, if you're trying to get innovation, you can't say, oh, go, go innovate that, but don't make a mistake. Yeah, right. Innovator's dilemma or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Right. But that said, we do tend to see some interesting things where with services, particularly firms that are starting to go down this path, is they're often held to very bizarre measures of success <laughs> compared to the product side. Right? So, right. Like your, your example, Craig, yeah, go do that. But, but failure's not an option. It's like, yeah. since when? Or... Oh, it should only take two weeks, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah right. And keep that 50% margin in there. Yeah, and, and then it better be margin and revenue positive from day one. It's like, yeah. oh, wait, but on your, your product business that you've been doing for 200 years, you've got like a three-year payback period. So, uh, let's oh, but, but that requires, you know, capital intensive stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that requires an investment. That's why it takes a while to get something back out of that. Exactly. We wouldn't yeah. invest in the, in the services side. Gosh, no. Yeah. On the service, we just need to we just need to align people, process, content, technology, and environments. I mean, how hard can that be? Sounds you know, so easy. And we need to deliver an outcome. That sounds like an average two week project. Let's right. What's the holdup? Ouch! Wow, uh, Patrick. As we get here towards the end, there's one question that I really want to understand for myself because Amazon seems like such an interesting example of so many ways they've done this. 
how often when you're working with companies on adding services, are they faced with a dilemma around competition? And what I mean by that is, if you think about Amazon, I mean, it's a logistics company. And they made a decision to say, we've got this logistics platform, let's sell it. They sold it to their competitors. Mm -hmm. They sold it to people who compete with them selling products. And my guess is that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> but how often is that happening in your, with your clients that what they might have to offer, they actually they're going to go sell it to their competitors? Yes. To me, that's like, that's truly elevated service innovation. If you can, if you can and will go do that. Uh, I'd say most of our clients, I'd love them to get there and think we could, but not quite yet. <laughs> For the listeners, what I'd say that the thing that will present itself much sooner, as in, in the first couple months, is much more of a channels disruption. Thought. Mm. So, right. So like the competitor thing, that's, that's definitely like, that's service awesomeness to me. But absolutely what we say is when you go down a service innovation path, if you don't end up doing something to your channels, you're not doing service innovation. Mm -hmm. So for, for the listeners out there, I think that's, you know, prepare yourself for that, so to speak, and then keep Jeff's uh, co competitor kind of flip, competitors become your customers flip as that's, that's when you become like elite athlete status. But in the, the early days of your, of your new training regimen, you will have tension with your current channel. There's, there's no way around it. And I'm not saying you will blow your channel up, but there will be channel dynamics that must be explored or else we're not doing service innovation. I will say, you know, just kind of a flashback to business school. One of the models that I really, really liked is ValueNet. And in the ValueNet, you really, you expand the value of your company by putting people, moving them from one box to another, you, you move your distributor into a customer or vice versa. Yeah. And you, you move people around and you expand the value of what you're delivering. And I think that's, that's a really interesting model. Well, Patrick, I know this has been fascinating for me because I learned a lot and I came into this thing, hmm, hmm, and I'm still going, hmm. <laughs> but it's a lot less fuzzy. Yeah, it's, it's less fuzzy. It's still fuzzy, but less fuzzy, which is great. Uh, so, you know, Patrick, how do people get in touch with you or find out more about service design? So website, theservicedesigngroup.com has some contact info there. And on the fuzziness thing and to, to bring this all full circle, I'd say if you hit our website, what you will see is services forward thinking in action. So we actually go to market as a service. So it's service innovation and portfolio management as a service. The offering is service path. It's a month-to-month -month subscription. Right? And the promise is you turn it on, we will do these two things. We'll build that service innovation pipeline, and we will launch and put a service management hmm. a portfolio of services in place. If it's not working, turn it off. But... <laughs> We, it's aligned incentives. We know it's going to work. We have the people, the tools, the process, and uh, the software platform to back it. And that's what you're going to get out of it. So, uh, yeah, I'd encourage people, if it sounds interesting, check it out. Reach out to us. Uh, as you've established, Jeff, th this is a complex sale. 
no, no way around it. But, you know, there's things we can do from a kind of upfront assessment. Where, where might you be? Is this a good fit? Mm. That, you know, uh, we're willing to spend that time. And then, you know, we're confident enough in what we do. That that's why we've packaged it up with this month-to-month model. And let, let's go build some services. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I love, I love a company that walks their talk. Isn't that, no, isn't that unique? <laughs> We're actually going to be a services business, so that's what we do. <laughs> we might actually need to design our services. That's right. Yeah, wow. I mean, when, when we're talking about leadership development, hmm, maybe we ought to be growing as leaders ourselves. <laughs> so, Patrick, to wrap up, we always close with a question or two. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this question with you, just because it's my favorite, and that is about movies. And the question is, what movie or scene or character speaks to you about leadership, innovation, whatever's on top of mind for you? All right. Am I allowed to go with, with pseudo movie these days since there's, there's so much content out there? You can go with whatever you want. You're yeah. the guest. So I've been a lifetime fan and participant in the sport of soccer. And lately with COVID, I had to... Uh, you know, increase my uh, household's content subscription services. We've been holding <laughs> strong for a while, but now, now it's unleashed. So I, there's a great genre that, that I like, which is these kind of behind the scenes of mm. your, your elite sports stuff. So yeah. uh, Amazon Prime has their all or nothing that uh, I would highly recommend the one from the New Zealand All, all Blacks and Manchester City to, to kind of where I'm at, but there's another one. I think it's on Netflix these days. Take us home, Leeds United, which follows hmm. the story of, of Leeds storied football club in England that is uh, working to get back to the premiership. That sounds fascinating. And they've pulled it off. They pulled it off in their second season of this renewed attempt. It's a great leadership wow. story. And business, so I've enjoyed watching these through this weird business lens of, wow, there's a lot of money coming in. Uh, but they actually, when you watch that, you'll see they, they play with the organizational uh, design, leadership model of the club. But the, the head coach that they go get, this guy's someone that I actually want to look into more. So that's hmm. the answer to your question. Marcelo Bielsa, this guy from Ar- Argentina, they go get to come coach Leeds. And he has um, what I like about him, not from the point of view that maybe I would say everyone go watch this and emulate him, but he is very uh, committed to his principles Mm. to the degree that there's this great scene that they're on the edge of getting uh, able to get promoted and the team goes up a goal and he's, there was kind of some controversy and injury on the field. And he viewed it as uh, per- perhaps unsporting that mm. they got the goal. And he uh, ordered his team to let the other team score. Wow. Professional soccer. Wow. To let them take the ball at kickoff into their goal. And, and he did that. So, and wow. so I look at that and I say – Wow, there's something 
when, when you're that, and, and what I like about it is, you know, and I, I don't know this guy, I'm sure there's layers and layers, but as portrayed, he views this sport and his job as way more than the soccer game. Oh, it's so good. It's the culture. It, before accepting the job, he wanted to walk the city and see, like, he was like, it's about the city, not the soccer team. Mm. And I, I love that kind of, it's a point of view that feels so extreme. And then you see examples of his actions. And I look at that and I say, wow, if all leaders were willing to follow through on their kind of commitment and view of what this is supposed to look like, how might the organizations we all worked in when we were younger would have been different. So well, I, talk about, I know that's, it's not really, well, that would be the scene. Go watch yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. I think it's like the second to last in that Take Us Home Leeds United series. And it's, it's, it's interesting to wrap your head around. Well, that's contrary. And I, I would imagine, you know, if, if he was walking the city, he was really thinking about how do I make sure that, you know, is this city really engaged in this team? And is this something that we're going to have the fan support to really build this the way that we want to? And then the other side of that is when, when he did that, I'm wondering what the fan reaction was to that and how many of them were saying, oh my gosh, what an idiot. And the other people saying, oh my gosh, what a hero. Yeah. I, you know, my sense is from at least following the press is they all like him, but you know, that, that wasn't a unanimous, everyone loved that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a leadership lesson there too. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I'm, I'm definitely going to go check that out. It, yeah. I mean, I'm a sports guy and that really spoke to me and it flashed me to, and it wasn't a movie. It was a real life thing years ago. It was a woman's softball game in college and this woman hits a home run. She'd never hit a home run, but she breaks her leg or blows out her knee while she's running the bases mm. and the other team the other team picks her up and carries her Wow! because if her team had carried her, they couldn't do it. It's illegal. The other team picked her up, carried her, touched each base home run, and they lose the game because wow. of that home run. Yeah. But they won the game. <laughs> they won the game of life. Yeah. yeah. They won the real game. They won the real game. So yeah, this is fascinating. And what a great end to some really fascinating, uh, a really fascinating topic. And I'm, I'm really personally grateful because I have, some new perspectives they didn't have before and that's, that's what makes a great day so thank you patrick <laughs> yeah thanks for being here thanks for having me guys enjoyed it if you like this podcast you'll love the cartevera tribe the cartevera tribe is a community of growth committed leaders who want to connect engage and grow themselves their people and their businesses Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa 
who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.